Uh, good morning. I'm Pastor Gabriel, one of the pastors here. Um, and uh, last time I preached was a, a few weeks ago. Uh, I used an illustration where I preached about jalapeno kettle, kettle chips. Um, and uh, the very next day or two days later, I came into the office and found a bag in my mailbox. Um, it was a sign of God's miraculous love to me. Um, and I just want to thank you, whoever left it in there. Uh, I felt very blessed. Thank you. Um, and I was so thankful I posted a picture of it online uh, and someone responded um, that uh, the Lord provideth um, and this is a sign to start preaching more about the things that I like. Um, very tempting, um, but I'm pretty sure that's the first step to becoming a prosperity gospel preacher, so I'm going to stop. Um, but it reminded me uh, of a story in scripture uh, where the Lord miraculously provided for his people. Um, and that's the story we're going to get into today, which is a moment where God uh, met his people's needs um, by providing manna from heaven on a daily basis uh, in order to sustain them and feed them as they were wandering in the wilderness uh, after the exodus from Egypt. And so we're going to find in this story the very essence of today's um, portion of the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is give us this day our daily bread. Um, and, and we're going to pour our focus into this story, uh, which, uh, you know, illustrates this idea, which seems like a very simple idea, asking God for bread, um, but in terms of effect on our lives, it's not so simple at all. all right, if you genuinely pray this prayer and you live it out, uh, there are some drastic consequences to how we live. Uh, and so we're going to look at three different ways that this prayer affects us, uh, how this prayer brings us from grumbling to gratitude, from worry to rest, and from fear to faith. All right, so three different ways. First one is grumbling to gratitude. Uh, unlike the prior sections of this Lord's Prayer, which we uh, read, uh, it brought us to a place of understanding uh, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will, uh, and it centered our attention on who he was and how uh, we needed to understand him correctly. Uh, and this portion, uh, give us this day our daily bread, actually brings us into a different section where we are now praying for our own needs, our own requests, and it starts with the most basic of requests. God, give us bread. Uh, and so this idea of daily bread could be translated to simply bread, or um, it could be any kind of nourishment or something that sustains us. Um, and there was some in the early church who could not believe that Jesus would teach us something this simple, to pray for bread. And so uh, this included some of the early church fathers like Augustine, uh, and they reasoned that this must be some kind of spiritual bread. You know, God is talking in illustration or, you know, this must be a representation of uh, communion or the word of God. Um, and others like Martin Luther pushed back and, and he saw it as, well, just bread. He said, no, Jesus is just teaching us to ask for the most simplest of nourishments. And uh, he saw it as a symbol of everything necessary for life. So bread, water, health, situation, and everything that comes with that. Uh, and he said it was Jesus t teaching us to depend on God for all things, even the very little things. Uh, and in other words, uh, for him, bread was food and all the basic needs that we have. A uh, very important distinction to make is this is not a get-rich-quick kind of prayer. All right? It's not praying for luxuries, but simply, uh, God, would you provide for me the very basic needs of life? Now, we need to ask the question, what is the purpose of this prayer? Now, why would Jesus teach us how to pray for bread? Um, I think it's because Jesus knows the human heart all too well. He knows how we are prone to grumble 
Uh, it, we see this in Israel as they're coming out from uh, Egypt during the Exodus. If you guys uh, know that story, it's a very famous one. Uh, if you watch The Prince of Egypt, DreamWorks actually did a really fantastic job. Some of the songs are still stuck in my head today. Uh, but it is a miraculous moment in which the people of Israel enslaved in Egypt are brought out by God's miraculous power. Uh, he brings upon the ten plagues on the most powerful nation, on the most powerful man, Pharaoh, and brings them out into freedom. It's an amazing moment. And I, I wish uh, Prince of Egypt kept going and, and, and showed more of what happens after because in scriptures it tells us within three days of escaping from Egypt, they start to complain. They start to grumble. I mean, imagine that. You see the ten plagues. You see Egypt crumbled right before your eyes. And three days later, you're complaining to Moses and you're complaining to God. And it's because their most basic needs are not met. Food and water. Exodus 15 verse 24 says this. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? They're thirsty. Not long after that, they are hungry. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They have the audacity to claim that Moses and God have somehow made them enter into a worse situation, right? They've just been saved by God, and their response now is, why didn't you just leave us alone in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here to die? We had plenty of food. We had plenty of water there. And yet, if you read uh, the beginning of Exodus, you find that that's not exactly true. Their babies are being murdered. They're starving. They're enslaved, and they're being beaten on a daily basis. And yet they have the audacity and freedom to say, you've brought us out here to die. They are grumbling. Uh, God, in his rich mercy, does not strike them dead at this point. Because honestly, as, as I read this as a kid, I thought, man, this, this is ridiculous. If I was God, I would strike them down and then start over with a new people group. Because clearly this ain't working. And yet what does he do? Pro provides for them water from a rock. They wake up, there's quail everywhere, all right? You wake up, there's manna, which is a, a bread uh, covering the floor. Every single day, he provides for them food and water until they are sustained. And we find out um, that he actually provides the manna the entire time they're in the wilderness. And they're there for 40 years. Every single day for 40 years, he provides for them enough until they can get to the promised land. And, and my honest first thought is, oh my gosh, can we have some variety? Like, can we have, you know, a chicken bake day or something? Like, throw in Taco Tuesday every so often. Change it up, God. 40 years of the same food sounds like torture to me. And I, I'll be honest with you, that's a grumbling heart. I'm no different from Israel. Right? I think to myself, man, yes, I know you're providing for me, but I, I want something more. I don't know if this is enough. I lost fat, sight of the fact that God is miraculously providing sustenance for them and for me just because I'd rather have some variety. And this, I think, is the human condition, grumbling. And Jesus teaches us, give us this day our daily bread in order to counter our grumbling hearts. And you might be wondering, okay, what's the big deal with grumbling? It's just complaining. It doesn't hurt anyone. What's the big deal? And yet, we find from Scripture, it actually is a very big deal. In Exodus 17, 
says this, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? In other words, their grumbling was not simply grumbling, but it was a sign of a heart that was testing the Lord. In other words, their heart was calling God's provision, his trustworthiness, his character into question. By grumbling, they were saying, God, you are not that good at all. You're not good enough. Your character is not good enough. It's dangerous to grumble because of where it leads us. It's never just a complaint, is it? Uh, In high school, uh, Sunday school, right now we're going through Hosea uh, with the kids, uh, random plug here, but we need counselors and we need teachers. Uh, but we're going through Hosea. It's a fantastic time. Uh, but it, it's an amazing moment where God is showing the relationship between him and Israel, right? In a, in, in a context of a relationship, a husband and a wife, uh, he being the husband and Israel being his wife. And it's this very sad moment where he says this about Israel. In Hosea chapter two, he says, for she, Israel said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. In other words, he's saying, the wife I have committed to, the people I have committed to have turned from me. They have committed spiritual adultery. They have cheated on me and gone after false gods, false idols, because they believe these gods have given them their most basic needs, bread and water. It's not that complex. They're going after whoever is providing for them in in their minds the most basic of needs. And the sad fact is this, and the truth is revealed in chapter 2, verse 8, and says this, In Israel she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain and the wine and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold which they used for Baal. Everything they had received came from him. Everything they had was from him. He was their provider. And the worst thing is not only did they take it and not thank him, they took it and gave it to their false lovers, their false gods. That's a slap in the face if I've ever seen one. You see, grumbling against God leads us to wander from him. Grumbling against us, uh, against God is to accuse him of unrighteousness, of being a God who is not perfect an assault against his character. And the thing is, if we believe his character be, to be flawed, we naturally wonder, a wander, because who would want to serve a flawed God? Who would want to serve a God who can't provide for them? It's what Israel does repeatedly, and it's what we do repeatedly on a daily basis. God, if you can't give it to me, I'll go look for someone else who can give it to me. So Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this daily bread, primarily to bring us from grumbling to gratitude, to challenge that idea that God's character is not enough, that he is not able to provide for us. And he says, this is not true because this prayer lays waste to the claim that he can't give me what I need. To say, give us this daily bread is to say, you give me every, everything that I need. You provide for me miraculously. You're the only one who can. No one can. I, I can't. But this prayer teaches us, I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to lean on you for sustenance. I'm going to lean on you and depend on you each day by your grace that you give, a, give to me through Jesus. And something miraculously happens to our heart when we, when we actually depend on him. We, we forget how to grumble. We actually grow in gratitude. You can't grumble when, you're, when you have gratitude in your heart. Those things don't work together. Why would I grumble if I recognize that everything I have is from him? As we were talking earlier, 
the very breath we have is from God. And if that's the case, why would I use that breath you've given me to grumble against you? I can't help but thank him. You see, when we depend on God and rely on him for each day, we go naturally from grumbling to gratitude. Second, we go from worry to rest. Uh, not long after the Lord's Prayer, we come into to this, this passage in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is instructing us uh, to, to, to counter our anxiety and our worries. And he says this in verse 30, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Right? He says, why do, you, why do you worry about the most basic necessities? Right? These things don't actually help to worry about. Uh, in fact, you're wasting your time worrying about these things. Uh, and he uses the illustration of the birds of the air or the flowers of the field. And he says, they don't sow, nor do they reap. And yet the Lord provides for them on a daily basis. They have everything they need. And yet how much more does your father care about you than the birds and the flowers? And he says, therefore, in verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, let me take care of you. Right? There, there may be many things that we look around our lives and we, we see how many things we need to worry about, but he's saying, you don't need to waste your time worrying about these things. Let me worry about tomorrow. Let me take care of you today, and if you trust me to take care of you today, trust me to take care of you tomorrow. I will provide for you. And we see this in the Exodus Right, with the, the manna that God had provided, uh, this, this amazing thing happens when, when he was providing for the manna every day. Uh, there, there was enough to fill each person's belly. So no one came away hungry. Uh, and, and yet, oddly enough, there's something weird about this manna. It could not be stored overnight. There, there's something odd about it uh, in which it did not last. In Exodus chapter 16, this is this. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it uh, leave any of it over till the morning, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And so every day, as they tried to store up this manna, uh, it would just rot on them. Right? And it sounds so frustrating, especially to a person like myself. Like, I, if I see something that is free, I will collect as much as, it I, as I possibly can. I realize I'm not much different from a squirrel. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, sure, free 99. I, I, I no, no problem with that. Uh, and, and for these Israelites, I think they were like this, where they trusted their own efforts, right? They trusted their own wisdom, their own work, and they wanted it uh, to, to make them feel secure. Right? As they went to sleep, they could look across the room and see their, their bucket or their pail filled with men and think, oh, we're good for another three, four days. Like, like, like we will be secure because of the work that I've done. And see, the thing is, God has different plans. He caused it to rot. And it's purposeful. And we see this as, as uh, it comes upon the Sabbath because, uh, you know, God says, come collect a manna every single day, except for the day before the Sabbath, the seventh day, collect twice as much because on the Sabbath day, there will be no manna for you to collect. See this in chapter 16, verse 23. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is the day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. So they laid it aside until the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. So something different happened on the seventh day. Uh, the, the manna that they kept over from the sick day did not rot. It did not uh, be filled with worms. And I, I think this is all God's way of teaching them how to rely on him. 
every single day, today and tomorrow. Don't store it away because I know your hearts. I know that when you have much, you will believe the lie that you've done it yourself, right? Pride begins to creep in and we see our, our wealth, our prosperity as a sign of our, our ingenuity or our hard work. And we say, man, look at what I have provided for myself, right? Without recognizing that God made the manna that they eat each day. And therefore he made it rot, so they could not depend on themselves. They wouldn't fall for these lies. And, and he did this one day at a time. And, and then on the Sabbath, he said, this day you will rest. You don't collect any manna. And I will make it a holy day where you'll simply rest and enjoy my provision. And so in order for them to do that, he gave them more than enough to store away. And he made it so that that manna would not rot. In other words, he was saying, rely on me. Depend on me. Sabbath was meant for a time for you to rest and celebrate what I have done for you. So I will implement it for you to not worry, but to rest. He was wrestling with them in their control. And I think this is where it comes down to worry and rest. It all is tied to how we view control. I mean, have you noticed worry and control go hand in hand? All right, the Israelites tried to take control of their own fate by collecting and storing up for themselves. And they wanted so much control that even on the Sabbath, some of them went out to collect. They didn't obey God. And, and, and of course, God called them out on it. He said, I told you not to go out. There's nothing to collect for you. You don't listen. And so that, that's how much they wanted control over their lives. And we're no different. I think about it this way. I think for myself, I, I've looked back uh, and, and seen my years in ministry uh, and there have been some seasons of incredible worry and anxiety. Um, and, and retrospectively, being able to look back, I, I think the common thread throughout these seasons is these are, area, these are times in which I've not gotten what I wanted. Uh, seasons where I lacked control. Right? I, I wanted people to see me in a certain way, respect me in a certain way. And, and the more I didn't get it, the more I toiled and, and the more I was frustrated I even when I went to sleep, I was angry. My dreams would be angry. I'd be screaming at people in my dreams. There was no rest. And the more control I desired, the worse it got. The more control we seek, the more worry and anxiety we find. And the more control we think we have, the more we try to maintain it. And the worse our anxiety and our worry becomes because we think of all the ways we can lose it. And there's so many, aren't there? And you stay up at night, imagining the very worst outcomes. And my friends, that's never God's plan for us. That's not how he designed us. That's why his, his design of manna, his design of Sabbath is so brilliant. It's meant to wrestle away this idea from us, this idea that we can somehow have control over our own lives. See, when we recognize we have no control in the first place, we actually seem to find that worry loses its power over us. Because we recognize what control did I have in the first place? None. And we recognize who's actually in control. And when we recognize who it is that is in control of our lives, we find that peace and rest actually begins to grow in us. We, we discover the, the biblical understanding of peace that goes beyond understanding. Right? It's not tied to us getting what we want, but it's tied to knowing the one who is in control and we know that he is for us and not against us. And then we know that he will provide for us each day what we will need because he's our provider and he's the one who gives us our daily bread. My friends, do you want rest? I know I do. 
it's not just physical rest. I, I need mental, emotional, spiritual rest. And that rest, I think that all of us are looking for, it comes from letting go of control. It's learning to be like the Israelites and saying, okay, maybe me collecting is not the way to go. My friends, what is it that you're seeking to have control over? It's your safety, your reputation, your kids, your grades for your kids, your finances, your relationships. To find rest is to lay these things before God and say, you can control it, God. You can take it. And it teaches us to see things correctly. And we actually find rest in his provision when we recognize that he provides, he provides, he provides. And it's to learn how to, sh- to, sh- to sh- Shabbat or, or Sabbath like these Israelites. The word Sabbath comes from the word Shabbat, which means cease or to stop. Right? He gave it to them as a gift. And he gives it to us as a gift. And it's so hard for us to understand Sabbath. For us, it seems counterintuitive, right? In my head, all I can think of is if you're not working, you're wasting time. You're not being productive. I got news for you. That's not the gospel. That's the American gospel. That's the, the, the gospel of, of productivity and, and, and the gospel of hard work and, and, and the things that our world values, but that's never what God has made for us. That's not what he has called us to. He gave it to us to give us a gift to help us find rest in God, to trust in him, to relearn once a week, God, you are good. You provide for me. I can find rest in you because you will provide for me even when I'm not working. Maybe this is helpful because we don't have this kind of rhythm. Every time you drive down 280 and you see Chick-fil-A and you know they're closed on Sunday, you think for yourself, God is good. He's providing for them. He's providing for me. I need that reminder. Otherwise, I've driven every single day. If I have a moment, oh, my child's finally asleep, pull out the laptop. What emails do I need to respond to? What Slack emails do I need to, 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 to respond to? That's where worry comes from, anxiety. God gives you the, the, the gift of Sabbath to simply party and enjoy all that he has given you to turn your heart to him and rest. Finally, he brings us from fear to faith. You know, maybe the, the greatest hurdle for us to depend on God comes from our fear of losing something. Right? For the Israelites, it was their fear of losing life. I'm hungry, God. I'm thirsty, God. If I don't get these things, I will die. And therefore they grumbled. Therefore they worried. And therefore they were driven by their fear. And we see that the way they live was actually just motivated by how afraid they were of certain things. They were not driven by their faith in God, but their fear of death trumped their faith in him. They did not believe that God was able to save them from their predicament. And so this idea, give us this day our daily bread, actually shows us how foolish this notion is. See, if God is the one who provides for our most basic needs, whether bread or water, what do we have to fear? Right, in order to show you that, if you guys look under your, your seats, we've actually had a slice of Wonder Bread. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But, 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 but I mean, that, that's the idea, right? That God provides for me each day, and therefore I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear. If he is truly a God of, 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 of just, justice, a, a God of love, a God of, of provision, if, if that is true of him, then he is dependable. Right, it goes back to his character. 
It reminds us of who he is that we never need to fear. That's how the Apostle Paul looked in the face of shipwreck, uh, of imprisonment, beatings, assassination attempts, uh, multiple attacks by wild beasts. I mean, he looked at these things, he laughed at them. He talks about death as if it's, it's just an old friend who he can laugh at. He doesn't have to fear. And he can continue serving the Lord boldly. See, Jesus is teaching us to press up our fears against our faith. Yes, you may fear losing life or your wealth or your relationships, but my friends, the question is, can God take care of you through it? Can he give you what you need the most? I think that the answer is very clear to us if we know God to be who he is. Absolutely. What fear is keeping you from trusting God? What fear is keeping you from depending on him? You know, for all of us, I, I think there's a multitude of fears. There's an infinite amount of fears if we were to count up all the fears that we have in this room. But I'll use one example I think all of us can relate to because looking around this room, we're a very comfortable bunch. We're wealthy. We have money. We have resources. And hunger and thirst are not on our list of greatest fears. I mean, we shop at Costco after all. It's not an issue for us. I think maybe that's the issue and that's the fear that we have uh, that keeps us from living in faith. It's the fear that we lose. It's the, the thing we fear losing the most. It, it's comfort. It's, the way, it's what drives us, right? Anything that threatens our comfort is seen as the greatest threat and it's what motivates us each day. It's the fear of losing comfort, whether it's the, lo- the fear of losing money, right? The, the loss of home or loss of high-speed internet, uh, the loss of convenience. These things scare us to death and we're like, no, 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 no. I need these things and therefore I will work. I will do these things to maintain my comfort. And that's our motivation each day, right? And, and the crazy thing is even good things are seen as a threat to comfort. I think that's why it's so insidious, this, this, this fear of, of, com- of losing comfort, right? Good things like, oh, serving others. We will all agree that's a good thing. No one in here will disagree with that. But how many of us do it? Well, I could, but football's on afterwards. I got run. I got things to take care of. I have chores to take care of, right? It's a good thing, but it'll take away my comfort. And I know it's an issue. Why? Because we always have to put up that, that same slide. We need youth counselors. We need Sunday school teachers. Oh, we need a, a, a day, day or kid, kid nursery helpers. Like, it's always an issue because we don't, we don't live out of faith. We, we live out of fear. We, we want to maintain our comfort. Good things like giving generously. It's hard for us. We all agree with generosity. We love it. But what if you don't have that much in your bank account? What if you need to save a little more to put into your investment? Maybe next month. Right? Good thing, but we can't do it. Well, all this to maintain our comfort, all of this to maintain what we have concluded is the most important thing for us. It, it's, it's scary because how it often manipulates us. My, my challenge to us is this. How differently would you be living if you sought to live out your faith rather than your fears? If you were motivated by your faith in Jesus' dependability rather than your fear of losing certain things, how differently would your life look, my friends? It makes me think of the poor widow in, in Mark chapter 12 as Jesus and, and his disciples were in the temple watching people putting in offering. Right? They see the wealthy people coming and dropping off bags of cash. All right? And then they, they look over and they see a widow putting in two coins, which the Bible tells us is worth a penny. In other words, nothing. 
and you you see this and you think, well, obviously the rich, rich people put in more. They put in bags. Even if the, all those, the, the, the coins inside the bag were pennies, it's still more than the two coins that the woman put in. And yet Jesus looks at that and he says, that woman has put in more than them. He says, truly, I say to you, this woman, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I'm going to be honest with you, when I see that, my first initial thought is not, wow, that's amazing. My gut reaction is I'm very uncomfortable right now, right? How reckless, <laughs> What will you live on? That's not sustainable, right? You're not being wise with your money. You have to be smart with your money. Put in one coin, save the other one so you have food so that you can make more money and give more to God later, right? I rationalize it in my head like, oh, you, you could do it differently, better. And yet Jesus looks at that and he says, she's put in more than everybody else. Why? She gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had. In other words, she loved God so much that she gave all of herself to him. So for those rich people, they put in a whole bag of money. Fantastic, that's great. What did it cost to them? For this lady to put in her two pennies, her last two coins, what did it cost her? Everything. Now, this isn't a guideline for how to give offering. You, you know, we can breathe a sigh of relief here. But, this is a guideline for how we are to love God. It's to give everything we have, all of who we are, not give him little bits and pieces, but he says, look at how she loves God and gave out of, of her poverty everything she had. This is how we are to, 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 to live by faith and not by fear. My friends, we are not motivated by fear, but, but by faith that God is dependable and will take care of us. How would your life look? Right, if, you, if you know of families uh, or, or, or a child in need, and I, I got to say, like, for a church this size, I, it astounds me how few orphans and foster kids come to our doors. Yes, I know our, our homes are small. I know we don't have much money comparatively to, to some people, but if we know there are kids who need homes, how many of us would say, hey, yeah, I, I don't have much space. Maybe my, my biological child will need to share a room. Maybe I'll need to share a room with a kid. But what would it look like to live in faith and say, we're going to do what we can to serve others. Let's bring this child in and call them our, our own son, our own daughter. Right? The call to missions and ministry, it's a scary one. <laughs> in fact, some of us, we look at that and we're like, yeah, I, I feel the call. I feel the call, but I need to make a little more before I go. Or I, I need... I need to do this amount of work before I can go build up enough of, a, of an account. Would you give up your lucrative tech job, the free food, the beer on tap, in order to serve God and say, hey, I, I won't have much and I'll depend on people giving to me. Would I go by faith and not by fear? Or if you know the families that are going through difficult times, would you buy them groceries? Would you open up your house to let them stay for a while? How many of us can do that? You know, I'm going to be honest with you, I, and I include myself in this, so, so please don't, don't see this as a guilt trip. I, I think we are so caught up in maintaining comfort in our lives that we've actually lost the ability to live 
faithfully and boldly for the Lord. Because if we did, I, I think our church would look very different. We would be re- people who would be seen as radical, reckless with our finances, with our lives, with our time, with our energy. Yes, the world would look at us and say, man, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? They would be looking at us and saying, that's insane. And yet I think the Lord calls us to live in a way that depends on him and says, God, I, I, I don't know the answer. And sometimes I don't feel like I have enough, but I, I believe that you will give me the very things I need to live faithfully. Give me the strength to do so. Give me this day my daily bread. I will depend on you and God send me out. Father, God, those convictions you're placing on our hearts right now, those areas that you have been pulling on us for seasons and years and maybe decades to live faithfully and to live boldly for you, don't let us turn and walk away. Don't let us ignore you any longer. God, teach us what it looks like to live by faith and not by fear. Push us, God. Show us how much you've given us through your son, Jesus. And would it lead us to live differently? Would it lead us to go beyond our own comfort zones and to pour out all that we've been given for your name's sake? We need help, God. We are not powerful enough. We are not able to do it on our own but you empower us to do so through the Spirit. We beg for that power now. Would our church look different, God? Would you transform our hearts so we would love you more than we fear anything? Would that drive us each day to live for you? Pray this in your son's name.